Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 24, the Word of God says this, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So this morning, we, I want us to consider this, pass, this passage from, from Hebrews that calls us to, you might even say warns us, not to forsake the gathering of the saints. Now the reality of it is the temptation not to gather together as a, as a church has always been. You don't need a pandemic for that tendency. Now, if I was preaching this passage, and I have preached this passage before 2020, I would have recognized that there were other things that were keeping us from gathering together. But certainly in the context in which we are living today, with the collapse of cultural Christianity, and then on top of that, a pandemic that, that does, that everything about the pandemic says we need to be isolated and separated from one another, there are some real unprecedented pressures upon the church gathering together. I hope this passage will compel us to continue, certainly in our faithfulness, uh, and, but I also hope this morning that we will have a better understanding of why we gather and the holy significance of our gathering as a church. Now, one of the things that I think has been exposed through as a result of the pandemic is that the church has had to grapple with what does it mean for us to be together as a church? Can you take what is happening in this room physically right now, and can you replicate that in some other way? Can you replicate that through watching it on Facebook? Can you replicate this through watching it online? Can you replicate this in some other way? And one of the things we've discovered is the answer to that is no. Now, virtual, watching on TV, all those sort of things are good resources. I'm going to talk later about how God has used those, but, but I want to make the case today that the church must gather because there are some things that happen when we gather together that only happens here and cannot be replicated in other ways. So here's how I want to think about the passage, and then we'll, we'll, we'll work back through them. Number one, we gather because of what Christ has done for us. There's a theological impulse. There is a gospel motivation for why we gather. We gather first and foremost because of what Jesus has done for us. Secondly, we gather for one another. So we gather for the saints. And you being in this room today is a ministry to others who are in this room as they are ministering uh, to you. And then lastly, we gather for what is to come. So even as the, the gospel propels us to come, what keeps us coming is what God is yet still to do. But let's begin with we gather because of what Christ has done. Now, this whole passage, really, the, the, the context of what is flowing out of verses 24 and 25 begins in verse 19. Now, as so many of the passages, when you begin a word that says, therefore, it's really connecting what's about to come with what came before it. But in, in this passage, it is a response to what has come before, but it's sort, of a, 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 um, sort of a summary at the beginning. So in verse 19, it says, therefore, brothers, since. So because of what Christ has done for us, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his, uh, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest 
over the house of God, let us draw near, that is draw near to God, with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So there is the, in the gospel impulse of why we gather. It's because of what Christ has done for us. Now, what has Christ done for us? First and foremost, Jesus has made us holy. Jesus has made us holy. Hebrews chapter 10 focuses on the supremacy and sufficiency of the sacrifice of Jesus. He is the once for all sacrifice for our sins. Verse 19 ties what follows with what precedes. And verse 23 is a response to what verses 19, 20, and 21, 22 have said. We are no longer, those of you who are covered by the blood of Jesus, are no longer physically, spiritually, or any other way separated from the presence of God. We can enter into the presence of God with confidence because of what the blood of Jesus has done for us. Now, the image here that the writer of Hebrews is using is the image of the Holy of Holies that was separated from all the people by a veil. Now, you may remember this, and if not, let me tell you what it is. You think about the temple. The temple had um, increasingly more restrictive areas. So you had courtyards that, that anybody could come in, and then you had courtyards that only Jews could come in. You had courtyards that only Jewish men could come into. You had then inner uh, rooms where only priests could come, but the most inner, 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 inner of the inner was the Holy of Holies. And it was a small room where the, the, the presence of God dwelt. And in that room, that room was separated from everything else by a very, very thick and substantial curtain. And you may remember when Jesus died on the cross at his death, that curtain by the power of the living God was ripped. It was torn asunder as God declaring that because of the death of Jesus, the once and for all, the only needed sacrifice to make us right has been offered. And now anyone covered by the blood of Jesus can have access to the Holy of Holies because of what Jesus has done for us. That's what the writer of Hebrews is referencing here in this scripture. And he's declaring that Jesus has made us holy. When you enter into the presence of God, you do so not out of your works. We enter into the presence of God not through, our, through what we have sacrificed. We enter through the sufficient sacrifice of Jesus. The high priests would enter into fear, the Holy of Holies. But we enter in with confidence because of what Jesus has done for us. Through the blood of Jesus, we are made red, righteous and holy before a righteous and holy God. Now, what does that have to do with gathering together? When we gather here, there is an expectation that we are gathering with God himself. We've not sung today those songs for our own entertainment. We sang those songs as an offering and as a testimony to the glory of the Lord. We've not given our, of our resources this morning as a way to just logistically um, operate the, the operation of this church. No, we've given as a sacrifice of what God has given us as an offering of worship to the living God. 
We preach this morning, and in a little while, I'll give an invitation this morning, not because I want you to respond to some information that you've never known before, but because I want you to respond to the Spirit of the living God that is here today and is pressing in your heart, drawing the lost to himself, drawing the wayward saint back to righteousness, and moving amongst us for his glory's sake. When the church gathers, we gather with the purpose of gathering in the presence of the living God. And our confidence to do that is because of the blood of Jesus who gives us confidence to enter into the holy presence of our living God. He makes us holy and he gives us access. In fact, if you look in verse 22, it says, let us draw near with a confident heart. Our confidence and our full assurance flows from having a true heart or a confident heart. We gather today because we are confident in our access to the Lord. We gather today to celebrate that Jesus has brought to us salvation. I mean, listen, dear friends, we could stop right there. Part of what gathers, that motivates our gathering today is that we believe that when the invitation is given today, that all those who believe on Jesus and confess him as, as Lord will be saved. That is a wonderful, wonderful word to declare. Today, friends, if you are lost separated from God in your sin because of the access we have through Jesus. If you'll call on Jesus today, you too can be saved by the blood of Jesus. We gather to proclaim that good news. We gather today because we are confident that God hears our prayer. Do you understand the intensity of that, that when we corporately pray here for the church, when you are praying individually there in your pew, we have confidence because of what Jesus has done for us, that God hears our prayer. And we gather together to pray together in that, in that confidence. We gather together that because of the blood of Jesus, we have confidence that God receives our worship. The attention, the focus, the direction of what we have done today is not a, 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 a from the stage to the pew as a way of entertainment or, or, or consuming something of interest. And it's not even from the pew to the pulpit as something sort of celebrating what's happening here. No, our attention and our focus and all of that is, is pointed toward the glory of God that he might be well pleased by our worship today. To rejoice in all that Christ has done for us through the cross is why we gather together. We gather first and foremost because of what Christ has done. If he's not risen from the grave, if he's not saved us from our sins, we could and should do something else with our time this morning. But because he has saved us and because he has given us the gift of salvation, we gather together to, to, to declare and to celebrate what Christ has done. But there's something else here, and that is that we gather for the saints. So in verse 24 or 25, that gets in more to the meat of the, the, the ministry toward and to one another. So look at what he says. In verse, um, let's, in verse 23, he says, Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And then he says in verse 24, And let us consider... Let us consider how to stir up. Some of your translations may say provoke. Stir up one another to love and good works. 
Just a couple of things here when we think about gathering for one another or for the saints. The first is we gather to encourage obedience. We gather to encourage obedience. So uh, th- th- this verse is calling us to consider how we are to stir up one another for the obedience to the Word of God and the work of the church. Now, the word that is translated there, that, 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 um, that, I, that, uh, that is translated as consider, let us consider, that means to give every careful consideration to a matter, to think about it carefully, to consider closely. The literal translation means to direct one's whole mind to an object. In other words, when we gather together, we are considering, we are thinking about continuously how we can work and minister to one another, to stir one another up for the glory, the work, and the obedience to God. We gather with the purpose to give attention and thought to how to encourage and compel one another to be more obedient. Now, maybe your Bibles translate stir up differently. Some of your translations may say provoke. Some may say motivate. Some may say spur on. Some may say stimulate. Some may say stir up. But all of these things have as their, 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 their idea of capturing the meaning that when we gather together as a church, we are gathering for the blessing and the ministry to one another. That person sitting beside you on the pew, that person that was in Sunday school with you this morning, that person that is that's going to shake your hand as you're leaving church today, all of those interactions are, are designed that we would be working for and with one another to stir one another up for the glory of God. We are to be actively um, pushing each other towards love and good deeds. Now, this is where I'm getting to the point that, that you can't replicate that outside of the presence of one another. It doesn't happen unless you see your brother and say, dear brother, are you still being faithful to the Word? It doesn't happen if you don't see your sister and say, oh, dear sister, don't don't give up in your faithfulness and obedience. We are to provoke each other to live out the gospel in words and deeds. We are to stimulate each other to be who God has called us to be. In all things, we are to spur on each other toward faithfulness. This cannot and does not happen in isolation. This can only happen in the context of gathering together. So when you gather, you've not come here just to hear a word uh, preached from the God's Word. You've not gathered just to hear singing from the choir. You have gathered today for the ministry to one another to stir each other up for the glory of God to encourage obedience and to encourage faithfulness. Connected to the command to stir one one another up, the writer warns the church not to neglect gathering together. So he says it there in that very next verse, verse 25, where he says, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Worship is, by its very nature, a corporate experience dependent on individual obedience, individual obedience of the saints together, together. That's what I think the writer of Hebrews is addressing. And he's not talking here to the world. This is a word specifically only to the church. Dear church, you do not neglect gathering together. There's a recognition here that the habit of many is to forsake the act of gathering together. Now, I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon this morning that that's been an issue from the foundation of time, hasn't it? It's, it's, a propiti- it's, it's sort of a, a, a propensity of the church to, to wander. 
The word, therefore, that is translated as forsake can mean to abandon, to desert, to leave behind. And it says here in the passage that forsaking the assembly can be a a habit. Now, the point here is that forsaking the assembly is not a new thing. It has been and it continues to be a struggle for the church. Now, if I was preaching this passage in, let's just say, oh, recent history of 2019, or maybe just the early months of 2020, I, I might talk to you about how the busyness of our schedule can, can influence you negatively and you can elevate things that do not have eternal value over the things that do have eternal value. So all kinds of things, sports and leisure activities and even work and, and those sort of things. And the excuses are long and there's a thousand things for, throughout all of history that have, that have kept the saints from gathering together. But then 2020 comes, and the most amazing ironclad excuse that there ever was comes about. You know, the hardest thing that has been as a pastor over these last few months has been to, be, it has been to figure out who's skipping church and who's intentionally isolating from church. Because both groups tell you the same thing. Well, I just don't feel safe yet to come back to church. And so what do you say to that other than, well, okay, brother, you... But I will say this, just as a pushback against that. I've had many who I've left after they've said, well, I just don't feel safe coming back. And I go, okay. And I, and I realize that they're attending during the, the pandemic isn't a whole lot different than they're attending prior to the pandemic. And I have also had conversations with folks with tears, mopping tears out of their eyes because their heart longs to be gathering with the saints and they can't. Now, that's a different attitude, friends. There are some who physically cannot gather with us, but I think it's more some than many. It's a habit. It's a dangerous habit. Today, in a post-pandemic world that is, well, I guess we're not post-pandemic, are we? Continuing pandemic world that is in the final days of the collapse of cultural Christianity, we face the same temptations that the church has always faced. This passage about, is about the importance of the assembly of believers in the living, in the faithful living out of our faith. We gather corporately to, we assemble, um, we assemble, assembling together as a church is a corporate experience to gather at an event, set aside time, group of people gathering for a unified purpose. But that cannot happen if the church will not gather. Now, the, the, where I want to press this, friends, is that has individual responsibility. You have a responsibility to the fellowship together. We can't do the gathering unless you are here. You're a blessing to this fellowship when you show up. You have a ministry to this fellowship when you show up. And when you're absent, when you're absent, we are missing what you have been called to give. It matters, and it affects the congregation when you are here and when you are not. Gathering is a, is a corporate experience, for, but for it to happen, it requires every one of you to be faithful, to be present. For the church to be the church, we must gather together. Now, one other thing here. 
So I mentioned at the beginning that, we, that what propels us into gathering is what Jesus has done for us. But notice how the writer of Hebrews ends this section. So verse 24, he's, he tells us that, um, that we should consider how to stir one another, another other up. Verse 25, don't neglect meeting together as is the habit of some. But then he turns it, listen to what he says, but encouraging one another. Encouraging one another and all the more. In other words, what he's about to say should be, could be, should be exponentially um, uh, multiplied all the more as you see the day drawing near. And what I think he's getting at here is that we gather not only for what Christ has done for us, and, and we gather not only um, for one another and the saints, but we also gather for what is yet to come. That day that is drawing near. Now, what he's talking about there is Jesus returning. When all the promises of Scripture are made full, complete. And just two things here. When we gather together as the church, it is for us an expression of faithfulness and anticipation of the day to come. So verse 23 and 24 connects the ability of the church to be faithful to the gospel, to the individual's faithfulness together. together. For that matter, this whole passage is corporate focus. There's a lot of we's and us all the way through from verse 19 through verse 25. What we're doing here this morning is we're gathering not just to receive teaching and hear singing and, and hear preaching and to give our offering, but rather we are gathering today that we might participate in the encouragement of the faithfulness of one another. Have you ever noticed that when you are struggling with unconfessed sin or things in your life aren't right with the Lord, that you have a higher than normal temptation to skip church? It's okay if you don't want to amen that. I know it's true. When you're not walking faithfully with the Lord and you've allowed things into your life that ought not to be, all the excuses to keep you out of Sunday school, to keep you out of church, and even if it goes on long enough to begin to isolate yourself away from faithful believers, they grow and they metastasize. Now, there's a reason for that. And the reason for that is when you come in, into this room and anyone stands in the pulpit that faithfully preaches the Word of God, it doesn't really matter if they start at Genesis 1 or they end with the Amen of Revelation. If they're preaching the Word of God faithfully and you're not living righteously before the Lord, it will be convicting. And none of us like that. But for that matter, if you're not walking faithfully with the Lord and you spend time with a believer who is, that very interaction will be convicting. And that's the point. That when you come here and gather, whether it be in Sunday school or in worship, there is an encouragement there to walk faithfully. Now, conversely, do you notice how when you are walking faithfully with the Lord that, that, that the whole dynamic changes? You want to stay a little bit later and talk a little bit more. You want to spend a little bit more time with people who are talking about Jesus. You get all excited when somebody wants to talk about Scripture with you because your heart resonates with what their heart is resonating with, and you want more of that. That's the idea here, that we, we gather for what Christ is going to do in our life. What is he going to do? He's going to fulfill the promises. He's going to make all knees bow and every tongue confess. And as we gather, we want to encourage one another to look forward to that day, to anticipate that day, to live faithfully for that day.
for the church and the individuals that make up the church to be faithful to the confession of our hope, we must be faithful together. together. There is, the idea here is that as we look for the day that Jesus is coming back, that we gather together to encourage one another, oh, that day is coming. I'm a runner. I've told you that before. And I have discovered that it is easier that, that you run a faster pace than you think you are able to run when you run a race with spectators than when you run by yourself. Now, you're the same person. You have the same ability. But there's something, there's something about somebody on the sideline going, you're almost done. <laughs> there's something about people cheering you on and go, come on, brother. You've got this. You run a little bit faster. You run a little bit stronger. You run your best time when people are cheering you on. That's the idea here. As we look for what Jesus is going to do, as we look for the day when Jesus comes back, we gather together to encourage one another. Don't lose, don't lose sight of the, of the day of the Lord. Don't be discouraged in the difficulties of these days. Don't be overwhelmed by the griefs and the burdens of the present. Jesus is coming, and he will make all things new. Be encouraged. And we gather together not only for what is to come as a testimony of faithfulness, but also as a testimony of hope. We gather because of what Christ has done and because of what is still to come. Friends, Jesus is coming again. The dead in Christ will rise. And when the dead in Christ rise, those who remain will meet them in the air. There is coming a day when there will be no more grief. Oh, praise God. There, will be, there is coming a day when there will be no more crying or pain, and there will be no more death because the Bible very specifically says because that last enemy of death will be destroyed. It's a good day, friends, and it's coming the Bible says that in that day, all things will be made new. And we don't mean by that, the Bible doesn't mean by that as sort of rehabbed or refurbed. No, it means new forever. In other words, it is a totally different thing than what was before that was corrupted by sin. That the new of the new Jerusalem and the new bodies of heaven will never ever know the things of the old or the former things ever again. Not only that, the Bible says that in that day, that God will dwell with his people, and we will be his. Friends, when the saints gather together, we do so in the hope of the days to come. Today we preach about the Lamb of God in the hope of the days to come when we will surround the Lamb's throne. Today we encourage one another to live in hope of the day that will, uh, that, uh, for the day, we li to live a holy in the hope of the day to come where all sin will be defeated. Today we comfort each other who are grieving in hope of the day when all the saints will be united before the throne of God and he will wipe away every tear and destroy death. In Sunday school this morning, we studied the word of God in hope of the day when we will offer our crowns at the throne of God and we will hear his voice instruct us for eternity upon eternity. We worship today as a, as a church in hope of the day when we will worship with the angels in the full glory and wonder 
of heaven. We gather, listen to me carefully, we gather today as a testimony to the day when God will gather us all together perfectly, His saints, His children, and live eternally in the new Jerusalem. I used to say it's sort of like we're practicing for what is to come. We're preparing for what is to come. Nothing this side of heaven is as it should be. It is all corrupted by sin, but we are gathering today as an anticipation and as a preparation for the day that He will gather us before His throne. So Jesus says in Matthew chapter 18, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. I think in the days to come, that verse is going to be more and more precious to us. In previous generations, what I think the, the church enjoyed as it had confluence with the cultural Christianity was we equated great numbers with great success and godliness. That may not be the case as our world grows more secular and cultural Christianity collapses. But be encouraged, friends. God is not with us when we gather great numbers. God is gathered to us when there are two or more gathered together in His name. That word that is used in Matthew chapter 18 that's translated as gathered simply just means to come together, to meet, to assemble. We've assembled in the name of Jesus today. On the authority of the name of Jesus, He is with us today. I'm very, very thankful. And I think it's a, an act of God's grace that provided for our church to upgrade our broadcast equipment about six years ago. When we did, what we thought we were doing is a ministry to the homebound. We didn't have any idea that it would, we would be completely dependent upon that equipment to, to stay connected with you all while we could not meet. When we put that equipment in, we also recognized that there was an opportunity to expand the ministry, the preaching ministry of the church well beyond the, the limitations of our geography, our location, and our time. And so we, we began to we, uh, post the videos uh, of, our, of our sermons online, and it's been fascinating to me to watch how those, those sermons have a life well beyond um, the moment in which they're preached. So I think there's about eight years now of archived sermons that, that live on the Internet and, and have a life of their own, disconnected from the time or place that they were originally preached. That's good. We are thankful that God has used that. In the early days of the pandemic, I was working out at the YMCA one morning, and, and a friend of mine came over to me, and they, and they said to me, he said, you know what we, I would really like for you to do is, could you not, could you not put y'all's sermons in an audio podcast? I want to be able to listen while I work out, and the videos don't work that way, and that would be great. And so that began the process, and I thought, that's a good idea. And it took us a little while, but we figured out an efficient way to do that, and so Today, um, right now, there is about uh, 15 different ways you can consume, you can hear what is happening right now. So, hope you're in the room. Those of you who are here are in the room. That's the first way. Some are watching live on, on uh, streaming video right now. And so, that's some, most of those come on Facebook, which is interesting to me, but others of them come through our website. Some will watch later in the afternoon as, as it's archived on uh, on TV. We, we still do broadcast on the cable network, and so it'll broadcast next week on that. But beyond that, 
There's an audio podcast of the, of the sermon. There's a, there's a, we even do audio broadcast now, a podcast of sermon shorts, which are just five minutes if you don't have all 30 minutes to listen to the, to the sermon. And all of those things, friends, are useful, wonderful resources, and we are thankful for all the people and all the places that those things have gone uh, to minister and uh, to bless. But I want to be very, very clear. None of those things are, are the church gathering together. The weird thing for me as a pastor just a little bit behind the scenes openness here, is there are some folks who are very, very faithful to listen to every sermon I preach, which means that they hear me preach more frequently and more often than some of you who attend. Because some of you who attend, your attendance isn't as faithful as they're, they're listening on the podcast. And yet, they have never, never gathered with the church. Now, here is what I think the pandemic has exposed. We thought for a brief moment that you could replicate what happens in this room through other means, but you can't because you can't gather on TV and you can't gather with your computer and Facebook is not going to push back against sin in your life. In fact, it'll probably encourage it. And I want you to listen. Listen, you work out and you listen to me preach. Maybe it'll help you do more and be more. But, but that's not gathering, friends. This is gathering. What is happening here today cannot be reduced to what can be consumed through a video or through an audio podcast. What is happening here is the saints gathering and this is a holy moment in the presence of the living God. What is happening here can only happen when you and the other saints here gather together. So dear friends, I encourage you in obedience to Jesus because of what he has done for you in salvation to gather together. Friends, I encourage you together that you might be a ministry to and an encouragement to the saints. And I encourage you, dear friends, together, together as a testimony to our belief, our expectation, and our great hope for the day when Jesus will return and make his gathering the most glorious gathering there has ever been. Thank you for listening to All for the Kingdom, a weekly podcast of my preaching ministry. For more sermons, blog posts, and other related content, go to bensmithsenior.org. That's bensmithsr.org. I am the pastor of Central Baptist Church in Waycross, Georgia. I would love for you to join us this coming Sunday at 201 Ava Street here in Waycross. Our morning services begin at 1030 a.m. 
For more information about Central Baptist, go to cbcwaycross.org. Again, thank you for listening. And until the Lord returns, let us live each moment all for the King and all for the kingdom.